Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is our third episode in the three-part series where we're doing a masterclass with Dr. Brown, who is the mastermind behind Revive Skincare. And I'm super excited about this episode because we also have the product development lead for Revive with us, Liz Martin. So welcome, Dr. Brown. Welcome, Liz. I'm so excited uh, to be hosting you guys again. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, it's lovely to host you and I'm really excited about this episode because it's going to be a lot about the ingredients and a lot about the approach that Revive has taken um, from the formulation side. So I can't wait to dive in. Um, Liz, I would love to um, really start the conversation off by talking about Revive itself and the approach that the, you know, the line has taken when it comes to formulation and just developing, um, you know, just ingredient heavy products that are, you know, really rooted in science. So maybe a general overview you would be great. Sure. Well, uh, you know, the brand, as you said, is really rooted in science. Every product that Dr. Brown and I conceptualize and develop um, has some, some major science in the formulation. And as we're building each formula, you know, Dr. Brown and I in the background are spending a lot of time working with uh, biotech companies. Dr. Brown has tentacles in so many places, universities, biotech companies. And I've been in the industry for a very long time as well. So, you know, with my connections at raw material suppliers and some of the uh, labs that we work with, between the two of us, we're always in the background trying to conceive of and develop some new and interesting technologies that we can then um, uh, put into each of our formulations. So it's a, it's a true love of science, both from Dr. Brown and myself. And then that science is then translated into how can it affect the skin in a positive way? It's not science just for the sake of science. It's science for the sake of what can we actually do to um, stimulate cell renewal, to help build collagen, to help build elastin, to help actually fundamentally change our skin so that it acts uh, younger the way it did when it was younger. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that's, that's why Revive is just the products are so good, because, you know, I often hear brands that do, you know, one or the other, right, they're focused on immediate results, or they're focused on this idea of like, well, it's going to take a long time for things to kick in, you know, but it's like, when you approach it from the te- this technology side and the science side, um, going back to what you said, Liz, you know, it's it's really this idea of what works for the skin, you know, right. as compared to other organs. Dr. Brown, I'd love for you to chime in on this and, and talk about that, like that specific point that Liz made. Well, you know, obviously, uh, in a bit of hyperbole, but not entirely, I like to say Revive is the most natural of skincare lines, even though we're highly technological as Liz was mentioning, a lot of our, our three sort of uh, base, you know, building block pro- uh, ingredients are our bioreneal peptides, which are actual proteins, peptides that um, we lose with age. Um, peptides that give us homeostasis, that basically keep us young, that, you know, Liz mentioned, we uh, try to return the skin to physiologically younger age. And that's really what um, the first one we used was epidermal growth factor. It's a naturally occurring peptide. It's made biosynthetically, so there's no human tissue involved. But it naturally decreases with age. I like to say, you know, 
it takes fewer calories to keep you alive at 60 than it does at 20 because your basal metabolic rate slowly slows. So the same is true about skin and many different um, biochemical reactions in the body. Things tend to slow down. Proteins get glycated, enzymes get glycated. So mm -hmm. our philosophy is to really return to the skin what it loses with age. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, that's also in line with that preventative side of things, right? You know, in, in terms of like uh, giving the skin what it needs when it needs it so that, you know, later down the line, you're not dealing with the steep, you know, I guess, uh, in decline of just elasticity or whatever it is that we use to measure skin health. So I, I liked what you said. Now, I have a question about the peptides, Dr. Brown, because um, just for our listeners, you know, you described it in a wonderful way, but um, what length do peptides have to be? You know, when we're talking about, you know, just putting together amino acids, you know, how long should they be to be actually efficacious, you know, for skin? Um, it's really, it's dictated by the specific receptor that they're going to bind to. I mean, Growth factors, for example, epidermal growth factor is a bit relatively big. Uh, it's a protein. You know, it's sort of a catch-all term. Peptide is very non-specific. Protein implies a little more amino acids than a peptide. Most peptides are 10, 12, 14 amino acids. And what dictates the size is more the receptor they're going to uh, bind to in the skin. Mm -hmm. So it needs to match up so that they can bind. And then once they bind to the receptor, then the whole cascade of biochemical reactions occur that bring about, uh, you know, desired aesthetic effects that we're looking for, renewal, volume, mm -hmm. firmness, those sorts of things. Now, one of my questions is that because Revive has this biorenewal technology in place um, and there's this use, you know, heavy, heavy use of peptides, how does that impact other things that we care about, like in terms of our skin? Like, for example, there's a lot of conversation around hyaluronic acid and, you know, um, just as we all know, hyaluronic acid also exists naturally in us, right? So how does that work? I mean, have you guys um, seen how things are working in terms of like the downstream signaling and stuff in terms of upregulating this, or it's just, um, you know, how does, how does it work? Well, we, and Liz will speak to this. I mean, you know, there's a huge, relatively large number of buzzword molecules you hear about in all aspects of the skincare industry from the drugstore to the high end, things like hyaluronic acid, vitamin C, niacinamide there's you know several of those and we try to incorporate those and liz can speak more to that because we've dealt with that over the past few years liz you want to comment yeah. well you know i liken it to a multivitamin right you can take you can take a specific vitamin every day in this case um the active fraction of epidermal growth factor you could take that every day and that's terrific that's going to help skin cells to renew themselves but that, that won't in and of itself um, fully help the skin with moisturization. So we add sodium hyaluronate. We don't add hyaluronic acid um, explicitly because that's a very large molecule, but we add sodium hyaluronate to the skin to help benefit the moisturization. We would add a vitamin C because of the antioxidant protection that it provides. So if when we add in multiple ingredients together, it's like taking a multivitamin um, versus just taking individual vitamins. You know, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up um, the size of hyaluronic acid. And um, just I want to talk a little bit more about that ingredient, because I know that it's in almost every skincare line these days. And I don't think people really know much about it. So can yeah. you tell us about just give us like, a, I guess, 101, you know, about hyaluronic acid? What should consumers know? And what what should they be looking for, you know, in terms of a good product that has hyaluronic acid in it? Well, hyaluronic acid is just a, a fantastic ingredient. And, and I love, you know, look, again, I, I've been doing this for a really long time. And I love seeing ingredients finally get their due in, in the consumer world. We've been using sodium hyaluronate for a very long time in ingredients because it's something that naturally is in your own body. It's what keeps your joints lubricated. It's why your, your fingers move so easily. Your knee joints move so easily. It's a, it's a fluid that's in your body and it holds about a thousand times its weight in water. So the molecule, when you use it um, uh, as a topical product, it draws moisture into the skin. It's a humectant. And then it actually helps your body retain moisture. So it's a fantastic moisturizing uh, mechanism. Over the years, um, the raw material suppliers and chemists have actually created multiple different molecule sizes of hyaluronic acid. So I'm sure some people have noticed it's not just, it's no longer just called hyaluronic acid. There's 4D hyaluronic acid. There's now 5D and 6D. What that yeah. means is that there's different dimensions of the hyaluronic acid, different sizes. And when you have different sizes, the, the hyaluronic acid can then penetrate the skin to different levels. The smaller the molecule, the deeper it can penetrate into the epidermis. The next size larger will go slightly less deep. The size larger than that will go even slightly less deep. So you're getting this cascade effect of hyaluronic acid into the skin and then it's just slowly releasing from deep within the epidermis all the way up to the surface where the largest of the molecules sit on top. So it, like I said, it's a fantastic moisturizer. I'm so happy to see that everyone from mass brands to very prestige brands are using this ingredient because it, it really does benefit uh, consumers from a moisturization standpoint brilliantly. Absolutely. No, that makes so much sense. And I love that you mentioned the different tiers of how we've gotten to this point of, you know, making it smaller and smaller so that it can do this, like, I guess, multi, you know, level effect or have this multi-level effect. Dr. Brown, I'm, I, I'm curious though, you know, when you first came up with the concept for Aviv, was hyaluronic acid like on your radar? Was that something you definitely wanted to uh, have in your products or was it something that came on later on? Not certainly. I didn't know about it. You know, I was a practicing plastic surgeon, so I knew really nothing about the industry. You know, Revive grew organically out of burn research I did. So over the years, and I don't know, Liz, you might be able to, you know, say when hyaluronic acid actually became an ingredient. Maybe it was 25 years ago, but I certainly didn't know about it. I became aware of it over the past 10 or 12 years, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a recent ingredient though that makes sense what you're saying dr ron because it's i i haven't you know even being like learning medicine and like from the textbooks we don't really learn about it you know no <laughs> so, that's true you really yeah. don't um i can't remember you know 
my biochemistry course even talking about it in medical school. If, yeah. if they did, it was minimal. So yeah, you're exactly right. Same, same. Now, Liz, I want to ask you um, again now an, about another ingredient, which is niacinamide. And this is another huge one that we see come up again and again and again. And I would love for you to speak on that as well. Um, similarly, if you could tell us all, all about niacinamide and why we want that for our skin and why that's such an important hero ingredient. Uh, yeah. And again, here's another one, right? You know, niacin, niacinamide has been used uh, for a few years. And I love the fact that that people are paying attention to it now um, and that it's um, that it's getting its due for the consumer. It's uh, it is a uh, vitamin B3 and uh, people, you know, people take uh, B3 supplements orally, but it also has some really fantastic benefits uh, for the skin. Um, yeah, it helps to minimize redness and blotchiness on the skin. It helps to regulate oil. I mean, it's uh, it helps to smooth the skin out so that discoloration, hyperpigmentation, all those types of discoloration on the skin are minimized. And it's very gentle on the skin. It's, it's not aggressive. It won't cause redness. It won't cause irritation. Um, so it's, it's really a fantastic ingredient. And you know, at the, uh, you may have seen probably now seven or eight years ago, there was actually a good article in the New England Journal of Medicine about niacinamide and the reversal of actinic keratoses, mm -hmm. really very mm -hmm. few things have ever been shown. And that's orally, of course, but to do that. So it is a powerful, one of the B vitamins. And I think for that reason, it's, you know, the fact it's getting its just due, as Liz said. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a really great point you made um, about its use and something that's so, you know, a, an extreme case, right, of, of something that's dermatological and it's a skin right. So many. I actually, you know, I, I can even uh, boost that a little bit because I recently, um, you know, I've heard about it's being, it's being used in like actual uh, neurosurgery research, you know, just vitamin B, uh, especially B3. And I think this water solubility component of it, I mean, Liz, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's like a really great thing because it's able to go to places that we need it to go to, you know? So yeah, um, certainly. Yeah. So and now niacinamide is one of them. And another one is vitamin C. I would love to also learn about vitamin C because I know that the industry is super buzzing about this ingredient. And, you know, I get it. You know, everyone wants that brightening effect. Everyone wants that. They want their vitamin C, you know, mm -hmm. but I really want to know from an ingredient standpoint, from a delivery standpoint, how important is it in our products? And, you know, how important is it in the products that Revive has created? Well, I'm going to let Dr. Brown speak to vitamin C because well, I'm talking <laughs> very first, you know, passionate about it. <laughs> a little bit about the science of it. You know, we've had a vitamin C product uh, yeah. on and off for 20 years. And, you know, it's a very difficult molecule to deal with because for it to be active, if it gets oxidized, it loses its potency. But right. it's a weak alpha hydroxy acid. It's a strong antioxidant. And it's key for collagen. As you know, uh, I always tell the story how, you know, sailors, when they were coming to the new world 500 years ago, often their old scars would open up. And the reason for that is collagen is dynamic. It's not a static structure. It's constantly being made and built, constantly being made and built. So if you don't have vitamin C, it can't be built. And the reason for that is 
Vitamin C adds to the uh, lysine hydrolase, which actually cross-links that big, huge triple helix protein that collagen is, like girders on a bridge. And if you don't get those cross-links, it's floppy and it falls apart. So, I mean, it is a great molecule. It's important. It's had several waves in the industry. You know, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. probably 20 years ago, there was a great deal of interest. It kind of died away because it is so difficult to work with. And now it's come back and Liz has done such a great job. We've had this last time we launched it, I think we had three attempts before we felt like we had it right. Because, you know, it has to be anhydrous and um, all of that for it to maintain its efficacy. So, Liz, you want to talk about our preparation a little bit? Well, yeah, doc, um, the, the formula we put together today, and like Dr. Brown said, it has to be in an anhydrous format. If you really want to use the purest version of vitamin C. There are several derivatives out there. People say it's vitamin C, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weaker version of it, or it's encapsulated in something and it, and, and it loses its efficacy. So in order to maintain the true potency uh, of this vitamin C, we had to isolate it from the other ingredients we wanted uh, to add to the formula. The formula wasn't going to be just strictly vitamin C, but we also wanted to add our bio renewal technology that we spoke about earlier in the podcast, where we have ingredients that help to stimulate cell renewal as well. Those are water soluble ingredients. They didn't, yeah. they, they don't want to live with the vitamin C. So we had to put them actually in two separate chambers, the water soluble uh, ingredients, and then have the, the vitamin C in a separate chamber. They then come out together when you dispense them and you quickly use them together on the skin so that the vitamin C doesn't have time to degrade um, with the water soluble ingredients. It's an amazing formula. We are, this was by far our, our first amazing uh, formula that we clinically tested where we had no joke about 100% scores consumers um, saw a benefit quickly. They saw a benefit over time. Skin looked smoother, skin looked less um, uh, discolored, texture was more even. It was truly, truly a phenomenal um, clinical test. And the, you know, the formula just is, is really dynamite. That's the, I love that you explained that to us, Liz. Thank you, because honestly, that idea, what you just explained, which is this delivery, um, you know, co coming up with new and innovative ways to deliver ingredients, I think that needs to be like really thought about more in this industry. And the way that you described it, where it's it's a double barrel kind of thing, you're you know, that's very important. And that I think that's more important than all the buzz around people always saying, oh, we got another line that's now has stable vitamin C, you know. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. anything to me. To me, I want to know if when it hits my skin, is it going to do what it's supposed to do? You know, right. so yeah, so that's really cool to me. I mean, that's a very, very innovative approach to, you know, um, in combining ingredients. And it actually answers one question I do have, which is about the um, the intermingling of ingredients on Liz and, or Dr. Ryan, whoever um, wants to answer this. I really want to know what are some of the biggest challenges with that? Because I know that that must be very difficult from a formulation angle, making sure that the ingredients that you're using are not kind of canceling each other out or they're not, you know, uh, competing with each other uh, in terms of just, you know, 
being efficacious, being active. Uh, so, you know, any information you guys have about that? That's your, that's your ballpark. Yeah. That's sort of the world I live in on a daily basis. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a party, you know, you have all these guests who come to the party and you really hope that they like each other. (laughs) You know, you've spent all this time and energy coming up with this great menu and great drinks. And then you find out some of these guys don't like each other and half of them leave. That's kind of what formulating is like. We have, we, we conceptualize our formulas literally on paper before we even discuss these with the lab. And then when the formulas get into the lab and the chemists start putting them together, are they water soluble? Are they oil soluble? Are they going to compete with each other? Will one actually start to kick another one out and cause the formula instability? So we work with the chemists very early on in the program to discuss literally all of the active ingredients that we want to put in our formula. And, and we don't put ingredients in there just for the sake of putting them in there to tell a story. We put ingredients in our formulations at active levels to ensure that ultimately they're going to perform for the consumer. Um, so, so we make sure that as we're building the formula, we're checking stability of these formulas along the way. It, it, it doesn't always work out. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes formulas just crash. It's, it's normal. It's called experimentation. You have to go through these experimentation phases in order to come up with a rock solid formula. Um, and there are times when ingredients are not compatible and, and one will actually um, kick out. That's what, that, that's a, sort of a loose term we use when something causes instability. And you know, you've all seen products where you see that oil on the top or the emulsion breaks down and it kind of looks like cottage cheese. It doesn't yeah. mean the formula is bad, but it means that there's an instability going on within the formula. You know, formulations are extremely complicated. And I, my, my hope is one day that uh, consumers will really get to appreciate Uh, the formulations. And when you look on a box and you see all of those ingredients and you realize that somebody, a chemist has taken the time to combine all of those ingredients successfully uh, and delivered an amazingly rich formulation. It's, it's an art. R and D is an art. I'll tell you that. You know, Liz, I just want to say I have such, such a appreciation for chemistry. I can't Mm. even be and I hear you when you say that, you know, there's been so many, you know, incidents where people have told me, you know, well, whatever's on the back of the box, I don't know these ingredients. I can't even pronounce them. I'm like, that's called organic chemistry. And you should learn how to pronounce them because that's science. <laughs> you that's know, right. like, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So I completely hear you. And, you know, I'm on this journey with you, you know, let's, let's make chemistry understandable. I, I actually, you know, just a side note, I published a kind of like a informatic thing a while ago about niacinamide and I got so much critique because I put the actual chemical structure of niacinamide on my, on the cover. And people were like, why the heck would you do that? Acta? Nobody cares what niacinamide looks like. I'm like, I care. And the chemists of this world care. So, yeah. yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I want to talk about, Dr. Brown, I really want to hear more about SPF from you because as we talked about in our last episode, I'm obsessed with your SPF 50 and I think a lot of us are. So um, I want you to tell us a little bit about SPF and what your approach has been uh, towards creating those kind of products. 
Well, you know, I always say, and it's a little bit hackneyed, but the most important anti-aging cream anybody can have is a sunscreen. And I still believe that, you know, I'm of a certain age and I grew up fair skinned in the South, got lots of sun to treat my uh, acne as a teenager and I'm paying the price now. So as you know, all the sun we get in a lifetime is, the damage is cumulative, it stays with you. So I can't stress enough to, and I do, think young people are much more cognizant of sun exposure than I was when I was in my early 20s or teens when it really makes a difference. So I think we are the only luxury brand, we say this and I'm almost sure that on all of our day creams, we have an SPF because Liz can attest to this, SPFs are not easy to make. It's problematic, it takes a long time, it's more expensive, all kinds of problems to get it just right and to make sure that you um, pass certain FDA, since it is really an OTC, you pass certain, uh, you know, regulatory hurdles and all of that sort of thing. Uh, Most of our day creams have an SPF 30. Our sun protection, our Sole Superior, which is our actual sunscreen, um, has an SPF 50. As you know, probably going from a 30 to 50 only increases protection, maybe 5%. You can get 95% A and B ray protection with an SPF 30. And if you increase exponentially to 100, it doesn't make much difference. You'll see SPFs of 100, which I think is more marketing than anything. But I do believe, and we have launched for the first time an eye cream this year, which has um, a physical sunscreen in it. A lot of people you know, want physical sunscreens instead of chemical sunscreens, even though there are some controversy over certain chemical sunscreens, which we don't use, but still um, physical sunscreens are getting better and better. And Liz, you can Mm. comment on that. I would would love to learn more about the physical versus the chemical sunscreen side of it, like Dr. Brown mentioned. Well, you know, at the end of the day, sunscreen, whether it's an inorganic or an organic compound, a a mineral or a chemical, it's designed to stop the sun, UVA and UVB rays from penetrating through the skin, right? The reason that our industry has been, really has been using chemical filters for so long is really because aesthetically, up until just recently, um, mineral SPFs really just weren't that nice to use. I mean, it's not that it's not that the industry didn't want to create mineral SPFs. It's that the raw material suppliers simply couldn't provide something that was aesthetically pleasing. I mean, if you, I'm, I'm quite fair, and I would put on a mineral sunscreen just a few years ago, and I had a very white cast. As, yeah. you know, as skin tone gets deeper and deeper, that white cast turns gray, it turns ashy, and it's extremely visible. So if the, if the objective was to have a sunscreen that you would use every day, who, who was going to put that on their face? You know, then you had to slather on a ton of makeup to cover it, and, and it was uncomfortable. So fast forward over the last few years, um, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide manufacturers have really come a very long way in, in creating small, small um, pieces, small uh, structures of these new minerals, uh, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide 
that are really sheer now on the skin. Look, it's not completely invisible. It can't be. It's like putting rocks on your face. Right. But, but they're so sheer now that they're actually aesthetically really pleasing. You can put them in a formula. You can add moisturizers to the formula. You can add a little bit of pigment to the formula or, or pearlescent to the formula. And the, the net aesthetic effect to the consumer is stunning. It's really beautiful. And they're getting UVA and UVB protection, which is broad spectrum. So mm -hmm. chemical sunscreens are being a little bit left in the dust because there's not been a lot of change in our industry to those chemical filters. And if anything, there's been some controversy in the last few years uh, as some research has been done, particularly with for example, oxybenzone and octanoctate, which are two chemical filters that Hawaii has now banned in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the state because they're bleaching the, the coral reefs. Bleaching a coral leaf, uh, reef ultimately could cause the death of that uh, reef. So, yeah. you know, there's some environmental concerns with some of the filters and, uh, you know, there's rumors and speculation that down the road, we may see changes to some of the other filters, chemical filters. Um, but, but again, they are, they are FDA approved. There's only a limited number because these are drugs. Um, there's only so many filters you can use and combinations of filters that you can use. So what we have today, while it may not be perfect and um, you know, there are some environmental challenges with them, the, the alternative to not using a sunscreen is potentially far, far worse. So as Dr. Brown said, it's so important for everybody every day to wear a sunscreen, whether it's a sunny day, a winter day, or a super beautiful fall day. We, we really should be wearing SPF to protect ourselves you know, from the elements. No, I think that's that's really, you know, it's very true, everything you said, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not a huge fan of chemical SPFs. For me, I just don't feel like they're protecting me for some reason. I don't know if that's how a lot of consumers feel, but like, for me, the mineral and the, I, I don't know, it's, it is a heavy feel, but it it feels like something's on my skin that's a shield, you know, mm -hmm. whereas with chemical, I don't fully understand it. So, I mean, you know. Maybe well, maybe, maybe what you're, you're interpreting literally the shield, whereas with the chemical sunscreen, what it does is it actually absorbs into the skin. So it's very light, right? And, it, and it's completely invisible. It yeah. absorbs into the stratum corneum. And what happens is, is as those, uh, the UVA and UVB and infrared rays come onto the skin, they actually absorb into that top layer and are diffused, Right. It, yeah. creates, it creates heat, but it, but it diffuses those rays from penetrating further into the skin. With mm -hmm. the mineral sunscreens, you're literally putting a physical block. You remember a couple of years ago, that was how the, they were characterized was physical sunscreens because they are physically mm -hmm. blocking the sun's rays from penetrating into the skin at all. It's essentially like a, like a mirror. It's bouncing off the skin uh, so that they're not absorbing into the skin. And, I, and maybe it's that, that physical feeling on your skin that you're interpreting as, um, you know, working yeah. versus the chemical filter, which is truly invisible. 
Well, yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I had mentioned to Dr. Brown on our last episode that I'm obsessed with SPF 50 in the yeah. line, in, which is a, a, for everyone listening, the uh, the product, the way it looks, it's it's got a brown tint to the main bottle. And it's a beautiful product. And it's really, really, like, friendly for if you wear makeup, if you do anything with your skin other than skincare. I mean, you don't even feel it on your skin, you know. And I love that product. That's It's one of the best sunscreen formulations I've ever come across because, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you with the whole, you know, you feel it on your face and so you feel protected. But I feel like with this product specifically, I can still have that same feeling but not feel so weighed down you know oh, so good good because yeah. it's a it's a fantastic formula it's yeah. got a lot of anti-aging ingredients in there plus the sunscreen at an spf 50 um it smells delicious um it blends really evenly and smoothly as it goes on the skin yeah it's a it's a home run absolutely now dr brown i do have one question for you it's a kind of an overarching question and i think it's important because as a medical professional and you know a leader in the medical field i really want to get your opinion about this and i think a lot of skincare brands can learn from your response is that this idea of you know it's really great to have skincare lines right but then to have that Um, kind of checks and balances in place where we're considering the physiology, the pathophysiology, the other medical related um, subspecialties that we learn as doctors. And obviously you've learned, you know, through your practice, how does that work for you in terms of really balancing out your team and balancing out the efforts of Revive um, and making sure that the products are, you know, they have this 360 approach. If you could uh, give us some comments on that. Well, sure. As a plastic surgeon, you know, a lot of skincare labs are if they're, if they're physician uh, founded, it's mostly dermatologists. There are a few plastic, but I, I believe we were the first plastic surgery line that was um, started. And one of the reasons I started, there were many, but I organically sort of backed into doing it out of burn research, but also from a clinical practice standpoint, as you know, uh, when I would do a blepharoplasty, if I would take the puffiness out of somebody's lower lids, if the skin was not rehabilitated from where I took that, it wasn't a hundred percent. So I think one of the things that we as humans want is other humans to react positively to us. And that means, I like to say it's a little trite, but that healthy dewy glow of youth. A lot of times as we age, we lose that um, dewy glow. And that's one reason our cells are not turning over more rapidly and we get a dull lackluster appearance. So I think it's important to have that. And that was still one of my major goals when I see a client that uses Revive, do they have a a dewy glow? And, you know, I think from a plastic surgeon standpoint, it's, um, and I told somebody, a friend of mine that I was at dinner with the other night, it's such a reflex and it's kind of a bad reflex, but when anybody walks in, I look at their face, I think what can and cannot be achieved surgically at least, because, you know, there are a lot of things people would come to my office and they would want certain ways they would look, maybe they would want to look like Charlize Theron or Brad Pitt. I mean, you know, there are limits to what can be achieved, both with skincare and with surgery. So I think the two dovetail very nicely. There are def- obviously many things that only surgery can achieve that skincare can't. You know, a turkey gobbler warble, bags under the lids, jowling along the jawline, all of those things. I mean, 
Maybe they're brands that make claims to that, but in real reality, no. But at the same time, um, crepiness, lackluster skin, dull fatigue, gray looking skin, mm-hmm. surgery is not going to correct that, but Revive and skincare can. So I think it's um, a little bit of a titration and it depends on the individual. Some people would never have surgery. It's abhorrent to them. Other people, you know, are open to it. So mm-hmm. I think um, it's an individualistic thing. And I, so it's, it's multifactorial, but I do think the two together uh, can give the best aesthetic results. And I always like to say, you know, the best way to age is just not to change over many decades. And you can look at certain celebrities, I'm not going to name any, that have done that very gracefully. And it's a combination of skincare and judicious surgery. But then you see others that have, you know, sort of gone off the deep end and done too much of certainly surgery and injectables. Injectables sort of changed all the landscape, I think. Right. right. In some ways better, but in a lot of ways, not better. So, um, you know, that's just my take. No, I think it's interesting how you said that, how you can tell um, just by looking at someone's face, like what they need. And I think that's a really interesting viewpoint. And and that's why I asked you that question, because, you know, as a surgeon, like, you know, I I think this is where a lot of, uh, I guess, entrepreneurs, they don't understand, like the eye you have as a surgeon and having seen so many different faces and so many different situations. I mean, that's a whole different take on just how the skin should be. Right. And so- Yes. That asked you that because I was like, I'm sure that there's this wonderful overarching kind of checks and balances in place because I think that's what medicine is really there to do. You know, there's so many subspecialties and sub disciplines that need to come into the uh, conversation when we're talking about a good skincare line. And that's why for me, Revive really stands out, you know, for everyone listening, because there's a beautiful balance here. You know, the chemistry is here. Dr. Brown is here, you know, so it's, it's Liz really is cool. here. Liz is here. <laughs> here. And, and that's important and that's very important especially now because we are in an oversaturated market yeah. and everyone's mm-hmm. out with a line and i'm sorry but at the end of the day you're not gonna have that trained eye you know not every entrepreneur has that trained eye and so when you're investing in your skincare and this is for all the listeners out there please keep these things in mind mm-hmm. you know and some principles that we've learned here from Dr. Brown, from Liz, you know, it's important for us as consumers to know this stuff at this point, especially where we are now with the industry. So um, I just want to say thank you, uh, Dr. Brown. Thank you, Liz, for your time. This has been a lovely um, third episode, and I hope everyone listening, you guys enjoyed this masterclass. And if you have any questions at all, please reach out, leave them in the comment section. We'll pass them to uh, Liz, uh, Liz's team or Dr. Brown's team and, you know, and get some answers for you. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.